Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where too big or not too big, that is the question. Hamlet, Darwin Hamlet. And well, for 32 minutes in game one of the Western Conference Finals versus the Denver Nuggets, the answer to that question was unfortunately and inexplicably to not big. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and today I will be joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander, for the second part of this episode, where we shall discuss Austin Reeves' off-season contractual situation. But for the first part of this episode, I'm going to take things solo, and we are going to talk briefly about Game 1 of the Lakers versus Nuggets series, which the Lakers dropped 126-132. to Denver outscored the Lakers 19-13 in transition. The Lakers got out-rebounded by 47-30 on the glass. And in terms of paint points, the Denver Nuggets had the edge 50-48 in that department. Yeah, so look, the Denver Nuggets socked us in the mouth and caught us off guard for a good 32 minutes of last night's game. And yeah, the Nuggets are a tough, smart well-balanced team with high basketball IQ on the offensive end. And Nikola Jokic is no freaking joke. We saw two Goliaths in the paint, two Kaijus, and AD and Jokic duke it out last night, and it was pretty entertaining. But for one night, Jokic got more of the help around him on both ends, with Murray, KCP, hitting every shot in sight, and Bruce Brown being this wrecking ball aggressor that just pushed the physicality issue on the Lakers. But the Lakers also did bring in their Hulk in Rui Hachimura to level the playing field. Reeves got superhero three ball hot in the fourth. And the Lakers were able to find some things out on both ends that should help them carry some momentum into game two. All right, so to make sure I don't go off track with this episode, I want to touch on three things during this first part. Darvin Ham, benching D'Angelo Russell, and the Lakers silver linings heading into game two. So let's start with Darvin Ham. Look, I gave Darvin Ham a ton of praise, credit, and flowers the last episode for how he masterfully handled the Golden State Warriors series. And Darvin Ham deserved every compliment. And given the wild season he's managed, I think we can all say and agree that Darvin Ham is a very good coach. 
Having said that, he is still unfortunately very liable to continue making some of the most confounding, gets-too-cute-with-it coaching decisions I have ever seen. For a coach with as much coaching experience that he's had, even though this is his first year being a head coach. Now, I praise Darvin Ham for not getting too cute with his rotations and player minutes distribution in the Warriors series, and of course, what does he do to start the Western Conference Finals? He gets too cute with it. I feel like Ham got swept up in the three-guard lineup euphoria of downsizing in Game 6 of the Warriors series when, yeah, the Lakers beat the Warriors at their own game by going small. But yeah, I feel like Ham got too swept up in that without applying the proper context to who he was facing next, a Denver Nuggets team that's big, strong, and physical at every position. If you listened to our Denver Nuggets preview podcast the last episode, I mentioned that I thought that this would be a Rui Hachimura series because of Denver's size, and I even mentioned still utilizing Vanderbilt on a tall, slithery shooting wing like Michael Porter Jr. And unfortunately, to start Game 1, we went the complete opposite direction. We went with Dennis Schroeder, D'Angelo Russell, and Austin Reeves. And unfortunately, against the Denver Nuggets, because of the Lakers guards' lack of size and lack of physicality and aggression on the defensive end, and then on the offensive end, with Dennis Schroeder actually mucking up our spacing while not being able to do what he does best, i.e. driving it into the paint, getting free throws, he had zero free throws last night, and him also nullifying D'Lo and Reeves because the ball is stuck in his hands with his poor playmaking skills, because of all that in total, by going small, we got all of the negative effects of going small against a bigger team like Denver on the defensive end, with none of the positive effects of going small on the offensive end. Like, none. It was terrible to start off that game. And look, my issue is not even that Darvin Ham tried out the three-guard lineup to start. I was actually open to the possibility of it being frenetic and dynamic and us even catching the Denver Nuggets off guard. Spoiler alert, it wasn't any of those things. But yeah, that wasn't my issue. My issue was Darvin Ham continuing to stick with some iteration of a three-guard lineup throughout the course of the game all the way up until the four-minute mark of the third quarter when the Lakers were still down 20 points. All I wanted from Darvin Ham if he was going to start with this small-ass three-guard lineup was for him to quickly pivot and make quick in-game adjustments away from the smalls if it wasn't working. And it wasn't working for three quarters, and Ham just kept riding the wave. First, he called a timeout at the eight-minute mark of the first quarter. And at that point, I was like, okay, Rui Hachimura, here we go. Let's stop messing around. We come back from the timeout, and Ham comes right back out with the same small guard lineup. And then towards the end, he inserted Lonnie Walker in some stretches as well. All the way up until the two-minute mark of the first. Prior to that point, the small guard lineup had been out-rebounded by 22-3 and the Lakers had been outscored 34-19. to At the two-minute mark, Rui gets inserted with AD and LeBron, and the Lakers end the quarter outscoring the Nuggets 6-3, out-rebounding them by 3-2. At this point, I was like, surely this is the moment that Ham understands what he has to do from here on out. But nope, 
He goes back to the three-guard lineup in the second quarter. Nuggets extend their lead to 18 by halftime. And at halftime, I'm like, okay, surely Ham knows what to do now. And then we come out of the second half, and we still have the same goddamn three-guard lineup with Schroeder, D'Lo, and Reeves. But that's not the worst part. The worst part of starting the half out with that three-guard lineup was the fact that we proceeded to play that three-guard lineup for the next eight straight minutes, all the way up until the four-minute mark of the third quarter, where we teetered between a 16- to 20-point deficit all throughout that time. D'Lo actually scores three buckets in that span, but none of it matters because our defense was bleeding points and we were still giving up offensive rebounds. The Lakers made their biggest runs after that when Ham finally decided to start playing three forward lineups whether it was AD, Braun, and Rui, or Braun, Rui, and Vando. It was really that simple, and we took too long to get to it. And yeah, it just took that long to finally employ such a sensical, intuitive strategy. And I am just dumbfounded by Ham's decision not to go to that earlier. The coach unnecessarily shot us in the foot, and then he kept shooting us in all of our other toes throughout the rest of the game. My only explanation for that type of nonsense was maybe Ham didn't want to unveil his Rui adjustment in Game 1 and had already thrown the game out the window in the third quarter, but then he still ended up finally doing it anyways, and we still lost at the end because the basketball gods do not reward bad process, and that was a bad process game. Now, did the players come out lackluster, rusty, and not up to the physical task to start the game? Sure. Did the altitude play some sort of factor? Probably. So this isn't just on Ham, obviously. But a big portion of this game and this loss is on Ham for not giving his team and his players the best chance to succeed when he had three to four separate occasions throughout the game, even before the Lakers made their valiant run to do so. So I think Darvin Ham will appropriately adjust in Game 2 and onward, It's just still perplexing and annoying how a coach seemingly this good can still be this bad. And unfortunately, we can't afford to be this type of bad at this juncture of the playoffs. So hopefully we got that one kooky, bad Darvin Ham coached game out of the way. We can only hope. Now, when it comes to D'Angelo Russell, quickly on the D'Lo end, should they start Schroeder over him? Should he come off the bench? I mean, come on, people. Do we have to do this every series with D'Angelo Russell? I get it. He's playing lackluster. He doesn't have the right amount of oomph and verve right now on both ends. Did he have a terrible game? Yes, it was probably one of his worst games this playoffs. He was a space head defensively and wasn't tracking KCP off ball, just letting him cut back door and go in for all these layups and floaters. Yes, he wasn't locked in to start. I think the adjustment on KCP and D'Lo just being more in tune with shadowing and tracking him is an easy adjustment he can make. And one I think he'll do a much better job of in Game 2. Because he shadowed and tracked all of Golden State's smalls. Whether it was GP2, Dante, Steph, Clay. I think he can easily handle KCP, who just had an otherworldly game last night. If he just makes that adjustment, physicality-wise and mindset-wise, to be more in tune. Having said that, I do think the lineups around him exacerbated his lackluster play and didn't help him out at all on both ends. If you keep Vando or Rui in the starting lineup, 
then immediately those open rim runs don't happen and D'Lo has an extra big to funnel guys to. And then our smalls aren't getting beat up trying to grab loose balls and rebounds that they have no chance at getting. And then offensively, as I mentioned before, having Schroeder in with D'Lo is just intentionally nullifying what D'Lo does best. D'Lo, up until the last few games of the Warriors series, and this game, had been our best playmaker, and he had been the best pick-and-roll partner for Anthony Davis. But when Schroeder's in, because Schroeder can't space the floor, the ball kind of needs to be in his hands more times than not. And so D'Lo ends up being relegated to the perimeter, or he becomes like a post-up player. And it's just not ideal for the type of flow and rhythm that D'Lo wants to get in. And we're going to need D'Lo. We're going to need his offense to open up the floor for us and make us less predictable. So should D'Angelo Russell be benched in favor of Schroeder? No. Not until we see what D'Lo with another big Vanderbilt or preferably Rui looks like. Go back to the initial starting lineup that we had before where we started three forwards, Vando, LeBron, AD, switch it up with Rui, LeBron, AD. If that still doesn't work, then fine, bench D'Angelo Russell and have him be a six-man flamethrower off the bench. But don't overhaul the starting unit that got you to the Western Conference Finals before you first address your biggest problem. Starting three small guards and not going back to a three-forward lineup. Put Reeves on Murray, keep D'Lo on KCP and have him track better. Have Vando, Rui, or LeBron on MPJ. Have Rui on Jokic. And then have AD on Gordon as the roamer defensively. Boom. All of a sudden, we look competent defensively. Schroeder will still get his 25 to 28 minutes to pester Murray the rest of the time, and he may even close games. But do not do something as drastic as benching D'Lo yet before you've reverted back to the more sensical, intuitive three-forward lineup. That's worked so well for you up until this point. And I actually think D'Lo has been a team player and has been fine with not closing games. So I don't think from his hand... So I don't think from his end he'll mind coming off the bench. I think he's ready to do whatever the team needs him to do. I haven't seen anything from his demeanor to say otherwise. But the Lakers personnel are right to be a little bit wary of what putting D'Lo on the bench may do unintentionally, subconsciously to his game. So don't mess around with the chemistry and rotations right now unnecessarily because you may just put D'Lo into an offensive funk even if his head is in the right place and he, he's willing to come off the bench. So in summary, go back to the three forward starting lineup first. See how that works with D'Lo and Reeves. If that's still not working, then yes, bench D'Lo. But don't do it preemptively already and name Schroeder the starter. That is just unnecessarily toppling over this, this foundation you've built. And sweeping over the fact that you got too cute with it in the first place, you know? So yeah, that's my point on not benching D'Lo yet. Okay, lastly, in terms of Lakers' silver linings heading into Game 2. I think the Lakers found out just how easily they could score in the paint and impose their will in the paint against the Nuggets, especially with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I think they can continue to force that issue with more players outside of Anthony Davis and LeBron James in Game 2. I also think, obviously, that the Lakers found the Rui formula. It is not a silver bullet, it is not a cure-all, but it does help mitigate a lot of our problems. Rui was a game-high plus 10 for the Lakers. 
I also think they can still use Vando, who was like plus five. I th- think the second highest plus minus player on the Lakers. I also think they can still use Vando to muck things up on the defensive end and just give us that additional high motor, athletic, additional forward that can help get us out into transition and also make life more difficult for Denver's wings. I think I'd stick him on MPJ at times to make MPJ uncomfortable with Vando's length, since MPJ is like a 6'10 shooting guard. I think the Lakers forward should feast and fight physicality fire with fire in game two, and that should help us out tremendously and help AD's life out defensively a bit better. I also think a regression game for KCP is coming. Prior to tonight, KCP only had one other 20-plus point game in the playoffs, and it was in the blowout-closeout game versus the Suns that wasn't even competitive. He's had offensive games of 2 points, 7 points, 8 points, 5 points. So if LA's guards just pay more attention to him, KCP is more liable to put up a 5-pointer than he is another 20-pointer right off the bat. To a lesser extent, I think we'll also get some regression games from Jokic and Murray. Especially once AD can roam a bit more defensively versus solely being stuck on Jokic. Murray won't be that efficient from three. And Murray and Jokic won't be as lucky with some of their heat check buzzer beating shots. I also think the Lakers can force more turnovers and get out into transition more. Especially once they get their infusion of size and better rebounding in, in, in play. Now, the Lakers played a very clean game last night, and their positive turnover game may ine- inevitably regress, and maybe we get more, like, 10 to 11 turnovers, but I also think they can do more to turn Denver over. Even though Denver is the number one team in the playoffs at protecting the ball, I still think the Lakers can muck things up a bit more and get more easy opportunity baskets as a result of that. As I mentioned, Denver outscored us 19-13 in transition. We got out-rebounded 47-30 to on the glass, and Denver had the 50-48 to paint edge on us. I expect all those numbers to level out more in Game 2, and I expect the paint points to favor us more significantly. So yeah, I'm not too worried yet about this series or the Lakers at this juncture. I'm just obviously frustrated at how stubborn and cute Darvin Ham got. Because if he had adjusted even just six minutes earlier than he did, the Lakers may have come away and stolen this win. But he didn't, so we move on to Game 2 and hope for a better outcome, and we hope for better out-of-the-game performances from everyone involved. Alright, so that'll do it for my Game 1 recap of the Western Conference Finals. After the turn, I'm going to bring Tommy on, and we are going to talk about Austin Reeves' off-season contract negotiations and how that may play out. I think it's a good time for this topic, especially with Reeves catching his second wind here in the playoffs and regaining a lot of his I am him form, scoring 20 plus points in three of his last four playoff games. So yeah, I think it's a very insightful conversation and stay tuned to that discussion on HBK and his next payday. Pay the man. All right, we will catch you guys after the turn. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.
Hey, Tommy. Hey. Let's talk about money in Austin Reeves. You ready? Yes. Okay, so <laughs> I wanted to talk more succinctly about this. I know in previous episodes you've said, Lakers just going to match whatever Austin Reeves gets no matter what. And I 100% agree with you. But obviously there are some new things going around the NBA, including the new CBA, that the Lakers have to factor in. So I'll just lay out the landscape again. We've done this before, but I'll just lay it out very quickly. And then I'm going to ask you, given the new CBA and given the specifics that I'm about to lay out, how worried are you? So keep that in the back of your head. So I think the Lakers are prepared to offer Austin Reeves the most they can offer him, which at this point is going to be four years, around $53.3 million. The Lakers' first-year offer will start off at around $11.9 million. That's based off of early bird rights. So I think the Lakers are prepared to do that, and we want them to do that. Now, what gets tricky is because Austin Reeves falls under the Gilbert Arenas rule, that means teams with significant cap space can offer Austin Reeves a poison pill contract that significantly balloons his year three and four, and this is something the Lakers can't do. So as opposed to the Lakers being able to give Austin Reeves a four-year contract starting off at around 11 to $12 million with escalating standard raises to make it around 50 to $53 million, an opposing team with cap space can give Austin Reeves $11 million the first year, $12 million the second year, and then the third and fourth year can essentially be his max contract. So due to the Gilbert Arenas rule, in order to pry Reeves away from the Lakers, teams can offer Reeves his max of about $36 million plus in years three and four. And for that team, Reeves' cap hold on their books would be spaced out evenly over those four years. So let's say a team offers Austin four years, $96 million. Austin would show up on their books for around $22 to $25 million a year. For the Lakers, it would show up as like 11, 12, and then like 37, 37, something crazy like that, right? And by year 25, 26, that begins to become problematic because by then the CBA will have fully implemented, I think, their new structure where there will be like a second hard apron that teams will have to be very, very wary of. And I'm not going to get, we're not going to get into the specifics of that, but just keep that in mind that as the years go on, especially by 25, 26, it's going to be so hard to have, you know, more than two or three guys making 30 plus million. So with that in mind, Tommy, given Austin Reeves' performance near the end of this season and some of what we've seen in the playoffs, how worried are you that a team, and I and I will get to the teams that have cap space in a little bit, but for right now in general terms, are you more worried than you were before? And actually, I wasn't worried at all, and you actually had a little bit of worry when we talked about this a month ago. But now I'm starting to think that, yeah, there is definitely going to be a team out there who will try and pry Austin away, at the very least more than what the Lakers can offer him. But yeah, where do you stand right now on your worry meter for Austin Reeves and the Lakers retaining him? Uh, on a scale of one to 10, I'm like a three. I'm honestly not oh. that worried. I And okay. it, honestly, I think when you get into the specifics, we could, we could probably just transfer or, you know, kind of move over to that now. Like, because I think part of the reason I'm like, I feel okay about this is because there really, there are not that many teams that could make him that kind of offer. Um, 
based on where the cap situation with with all these teams stands right now. Okay, so let me let me move into that now. Here are the cap space teams. We've got the Houston Rockets who could have 56 to 60 million dollars. We've got the San Antonio Spurs who can have 39 to 47 million dollars available. We've got the Jazz. If the Jazz if Jordan Clarkson stays, the Jazz have about 30 million dollars to play with. If Jordan Clarkson leaves, they've got 45 million dollars. Then we've got the OKC Thunder. They've got 28 to 35 million dollars to play with. Pistons with $27 million if Burks is kept on his team option, $37 million if he's not retained. Pacers with $27 million. And then we've got the Magic, who have $19 million available, but that can balloon all the way up to $57 million if they waive all of their non-guaranteed players, which include Jonathan Isaac, Bull Bull, Fultz, and Gary Harris. They're probably going to keep two or three of those guys. Regardless, those are the teams, Rockets, Spurs, Jazz, OKC, Pistons, Pacers, Magic. And to give you a little bit of context, a team with $17 million in space can make the following offer to Reeves. $11 million the first year, $12 million the second year, $22 million the third year, and $23 million the fourth year. So that is a four-year deal that's about $70 million. The Lakers can only offer four years $53 million, but they can try and make it worth Austin Reeves' time by making the third and fourth year's player options so that they can renegotiate like a higher-term deal. But, yeah, do you see... Okay, so yeah, here's a question. Do you see a team at least offering the four years $70 million for Austin? So I think there's a chance that a team does that. I think like one thing to keep in mind here is practically how this is going to work is Austin's there's only like you you ran through a, a number of teams there for a variety and a lot of them were heavily caveated I might I might add by like well if they renounce everybody but like for some of these teams they're keeping some of these guys right so it's like in terms of practical cap space like there's like five options we're talking 30 teams there's maybe five teams can make Austin this type of ballooning offer okay so if we just level set there Austin's agent, the second our season is over, is going to be in contact with those teams and is going to determine whether they're going to give him that kind of offer. I mean, it's like a yes or no question. Are you are you saving your cap space? It's not like hiding the ball, right? It's like, mm-hmm. is is there a remote possibility you even, you would offer him something like this? If the answer is yes for any of those, they're going to wait. Okay, they're not going to sign the Lakers offer and they're going to wait and get an offer sheet and then sign that and have the Lakers match. That just makes sense, frankly, for them, right? If they don't, if if he comes back and he's like, well, we're 0 for 5. Look, these teams like you. None of them are willing to give you this ballooning offer because it's too small of a sample size. Whatever, right? They're, the Lakers are then going to know, like, the first two years of whatever four-year deal he signs, hypothetical deal, is going to be the same, right? It's like he... You know, whether they count it, whether he's getting his 11, 12 million here or with another team, the first two years he would get paid roughly the same. If he's not going to get this ballooning offer, from his perspective, it might be better, right, to just have like a two year deal with a team option or excuse me, a player option so that he can opt out. And his opt out, by the way, would coincidentally kind of like coincide with, I think, like the the hypothetical deal that D'Angelo Russell is going to sign. Like he's talked about a two year with an opt out because, and the reason a lot of these guys want two years with an opt out is because that's when the salary cap is is supposed to start rising. Yeah. Um, and so the contracts are going to get bigger. So I, I just think like it's, is it a fear? Sure. Practically, is it a risk? 
no. And, and like, and like, I think like if we end up with Austin making 25 million in years three and four, by the time years three and four roll around, the cap will be increasing. 25 True. million then is not going to be the same as 25 million now. LeBron James might be retired. I mean, there's just like so many factors that are going to be different. I think what they're going to do is just match it and live with the consequences and just be like, you know, in two years, our salary cap structure, three years, it's going to look so different than what it is now. It's not going to be LeBron making 45, AD making 45 plus, D'Angelo making 35 plus. Like, I think like Austin has shown that he's so good. Again, I'm looking at at this draft class, Cade uh, Cade Cunningham. Now, I, you know, but when you look at like the 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 players drafted Austin's year, it's like Jalen Green, Franz Wagner, Evan Mobley, Jalen Green, Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Josh Giddy, Scotty Barnes. I mean, like Austin is top five in this class. Just looking at like these other guys on this list, he's easily a top five player. Those guys, you know, by the time we get to that point are going to be worth that amount of money. Why shouldn't Austin be worth that amount of True. money? So I, I know that like all this stuff is changing with the new CBA, et cetera, et cetera. But there is some amount, I think, of among fans of like kind of blending what is the current cap structure with with these new CBA rules. And the reality is the new CBA is supposed to kind of go with the new cap structure that's coming out in a few years like it's it, these a lot of these like very harsh cutoffs for like the second apron or you know whatever they're calling it in the new CBA are going to seem in my opinion less harsh once the cap start itself starts to go up which it will in the next 2 years right so yeah okay good good points now what if a team is willing to give Austin the max in years 3 and 4 because i actually don't think this is that outlandish because I want to use an example of a former poison pill contract player, and I want to use Tyler Johnson as an example. Because in 2016, the Nets gave inexplicably Tyler Johnson a four-year, $50 million contract. At the time, that was huge for a player of his caliber. He was in the same situation, second, second rounder, um, about 23 years old. And they gave him this contract, Tommy, off of a 8.7 point, 2.2 assist season where he shot 48% from the field, 38% from three. I'm sure there's a lot more context behind that, but it's just bewildering to me why somebody would give Tyler Johnson a four-year, $50 million contract off a season like that because I don't think he even did anything in the playoffs either. Anyways, they gave him a poison pill contract where the first two years were 5.6, 5.9, and then in years three and four, that ballooned to 18.9 and 19.6. So, and then the Miami Heat actually matched this offer, by the way. And so that was the salary cap structure on the Miami Heat's books for those four years. And Tyler Johnson actually had a player option in year four. So yeah, maybe for us, Austin Reeves will not only have a player option in year four, but also year three as well. So you can kind of use this Tyler Johnson contract as a template for if Austin Reeves receives an offer from another team, this is kind of what it's going to look like. But you kind of have to account for inflation, right? So my early estimation of like 22 million and 23 million for years three and four is probably not accurate. If if a team is going to give Tyler Johnson, Tommy, 19 and 20 in years three and four, then they may actually give Austin Reeves, I don't know, 27 all the way up to his max. So let's go all the way. Let's say a team, I'm going to use... Indiana Pacers or the San Antonio Spurs. They seem like teams right. that would give Austin Reeves this contract. Um, let's say the San Antonio Spurs want to stick it to the Lakers because Austin Reeves also seems like a really good Greg Popovich sort of player, 
and you made the Manu Ginobili comp yourself. So they want Manu Ginobili 2.0 and they say, fuck it. Let's give Austin Reeves the max in years three and four. It's going to look like $12 million the first year, $13 million the second year, and then 36.8 the third year, 38.5 the fourth year. Are the Lakers matching that? And I and the reason why I think it's realistic for a team like the Spurs to do it is because for the Spurs, that shakes out to only $25 million each year for those four years. Whereas the Lakers, yes, the first two years you skate on by with the 11 to 12, but in years three and four, you've all of a sudden got a $37 million Austin Reeves and then a $38 million Austin Reeves in year four. So even in that scenario, you're okay with the Lakers matching it. And then second question, do you think the Lakers will match it? So I think we're probably going to agree on this point. I don't think they're going to match that. I, oh. I just think I just think we where we disagree is just like the practicality of like I understand that this has happened before and all it takes is one team, right? And like we're we're talking about like well, there's only really like especially when you balloon to a max. Now it's not even five or six teams, right? It's really we're talking about like three teams who can make like that kind of offer. And even then they'll have to like do for some finagling. Like the Spurs can't make that offer day one of free agency. They're gonna have to like renounce guys and et cetera. But Yeah, but the Spurs are gonna like they can easily renounce that. Right now, without having to retain anybody, they have like thirty nine to forty seven. And as I mentioned, sure, you only need sure. seventeen millions in cap space to give Rees like twenty two, twenty three in year three and four. To give him twenty two, twenty three, but to give him thirty five. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But, so yeah. so but you know, so that's my point. Like it, it, the the scope of teams that can give him that kind of offer is small. I again I just practical risk, like is there a team that out of pure spite for the Lakers could come out and be like, we're going to overpay this guy. Yeah. We're going to make this undrafted. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I understand it averages, but that also, right. It's like, we, we talk about this like so casually that assumes that he continues to progress at this rate. Right. And it's not just a flash in the pan and it's not like, you know, maybe he'll steadily get better. So you sort of hedge your bets An average $25 million a year for a guy who's about to be a third year player who has had like four months of, maybe play to sort of base this contract off of is it's just very, very, very unrealistic. Again, it takes one team. It takes one team to do it. So is it possible? Of course I'll say it's possible. It's not impossible, but it's just, are the Spurs really going to, or the Pacers or the Rockets, right? It's like the Rockets and the Spurs and the Pacers. These are all teams who are going to have to make decisions on their own young guys in like two to three years also, right? And it's like they've all already got Austin committed for 25, 27 million like on their books at that point. Like it, I'm not, again, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying it's like, it just feels unlikely. It's it's possible that we do any number of crazy things that we may or may not do, but it, you know, what, just thinking about like what's the most likely it, it the fact that he wants to stay here is a big factor mm-hmm. you know that helps us the fact that i don't think a max offer is going to be out for him in free agency frankly no matter what i mean unless austin averages a 25 point triple double for the rest of the, the rest of the playoffs like well, okay. i highly doubt another team is coming in to be like you were the third or fourth best player at times best player on your team for a solid playoff run so we're going to give you like what amounts to at your level, like a max contract. Like it again, it's possible. I just very, very unlikely. Uh, we all know what happened with the Nets back when, you know, with the, with Tyler <laughs> okay, Johnson. Yeah, for sure. The type for of sure. Management they had, so. Tyler Johnson didn't work out, but I, okay. So I agree with you and I'm glad that 
I'm going to use you as my solace anytime I get too scared or too worried about Austin Reeves leaving. But he, let me paint to you a picture. It's a very hypothetical picture. But let's say the Utah Jazz and Danny Ainge, right? Danny Ainge hates the Lakers, even though he's done several deals with us this year. But let's say this is Danny, Danny Ainge's comeuppance against the Rob Palenka. You know, this is all a long-term plan. He's got $30 million in cap space, $45 million if Jordan Clarkson leaves. The Jazz actually don't have a point guard, Tommy. They've been using THT and Chris Dunn as their pseudo point guards. And I guess Colin Sexton is there, but none of those three are true point guards. And none of them are as talented as Austin Reeves. Let's say Danny Ainge wants to give Austin Reeves, maybe not the max, but let's say 30 to $33 million. If I'm Austin Reeves' agent, I'm telling Rob Palenka or I'm telling these other teams like, Terry Rozier is making $24 million right now. Austin Reeves is a hell of a better player, and Terry Rozier is still on for like three years. Jalen Brunson is probably a good example. Jalen Brunson put up like 16-5 and next to Luka Doncic with the Mavericks last year. Now he's making $24, $25 million over four years, and people kind of balked at that contract as well. Is it that outlandish to then say, hey, give Austin Reeves this balloon payment in years three and four for you, the opposing team, it's only going to be $25 million per year, and that's Jalen Brunson money, except you're getting the cap spikes as well in years three and four. Does that change your perception a little bit, if I paint it like that? No, I mean, it's it, and to be clear, it's not my perception. I would give him the money. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm for sure, as, yeah. as Laker general manager, I'm matching anything he gets. Um, and I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that no one is going to offer him this crazy balloon to a max, right? But even if they did, I, I personally am matching that. I just... Okay. And I think your arguments are totally fair in terms of what they would do or like how what what Austin's agent would would come to them with. And maybe they would be persuaded by that. And I look, I don't think they would do it, but I think they should. Um, And I and I think the reason they should is, frankly, the reasons you've sort of outlined, even if they're paying him. I mean, they were going to pay D'Angelo Russell 35 million, for example, right? Like next season, if Austin's payment balloons to 35 million, his third season, when he's on your books, like. D'Angelo Russell might be opting out at that point. At that point, you're going to know what's going to happen with LeBron long-term. You're going to have maybe a little bit more clarity about what's going to happen with AD long-term. $35 million for a player like Austin, like, given what we've seen, maybe not that outlandish. Um, you know, you use the Brunson comp and, and some... Like, if anything, his his productivity has gone up with usage. Um, mm-hmm. So it's not like there's an argument that, like, well, he's just doing this because of his situation. It's like, no, that actually because of his situation, he was being held back for a while. And, and eventually he got more usage and, and ballooned his game to a new level. Um, so I think it's reasonable. And I think if in this horrific, you know, sort of (laughs) outlier circumstance, I still would match it. I think. Okay. I would too. Last question. What is the threshold? The Lakers GM, Rob Palenka and Jeannie bus go to, because we both agree if an opposing team gives Austin a four-year, $70 million contract, which I think is more realistic, obviously, than the max contract, we would both do that, obviously. Would Rob Palink and Jeannie Buss do the four years over 70 matching? I think they would. Where does that line start to blur? Does it... It blurs the closer you get to the max. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so then would they do, let's say, let's make it four years, $80 million. Is that where they draw the line? Would would they still match at four years, 80? 
Is four years 80, I thought, was the max that he could get offered because it's like it balloons to 35 and the first... Well, what's the max he can get from a 13? The max he can get over four years, if they have this cap space, is 98.6 over four. Okay. So four years 80? Four years 80, I think they would do. Okay. Even with the ballooning. Okay. So 85, 90 is probably where they stop, right? Something like that, yeah. Okay. All right, so I think if we're in that 70 to 80 ballpark with Austin Reeves, should he get that offer, we are still safe. And hopefully we just cross our fingers that negotiations go well. And something that I'm not sure if you mentioned it um, tangibly, but something that we have to our advantage is we get to the table first with Austin Reeves and we can discuss all of these different scenarios with him. And hopefully he's enjoyed his time enough here and he wants to put his roots down here that, you know, we get a contract done even before he goes out for offers, et cetera, et cetera. And you have to keep in mind that Austin already chose us once. He could have been drafted in the second round. True. So he chose to come here. He grew up a Laker fan. He always talks about that. He grew up a Kobe fan. Um, You know, he, he wants to be in LA clearly the only thing is it is a business. If somebody offers him a max contract, he's an idiot. If he doesn't sign it. Okay. So like he is going to leave if it comes down to that. But, but the question, you know, you mentioned we get the, we get the first crack at it. Right. But beyond getting the first crack at it, like by the time we sit down with him, he is going to know from his agent, whether one of these three or four teams is holding out money for him. Um, yeah. Because that those teams, if they are, they're going to tell him. I, again, it's like this is not like it's not like secret. I mean, there's some secret and posturing, right? That that uh, secret keeping and posturing that goes on. But those teams that are not going to, if they are actually willing to give Austin a max contract, are not going to wait to see is he going to sign a deal with the Lakers? They're going to call his agent and tell his agent, "Don't let him sign that deal because we have a big offer coming." Um, and then they'll hold out. So it 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 just like from there. It comes down to the communication between Austin's camp and us. Um, yeah. We obviously want to be in control and just give him whatever deal he will take from us, which probably he wouldn't take the four-year 51 from us. He would probably take, if he does take four-year 51, there's going to be an, a player option after year two. Um, yep. But, you know, if if someone else is willing to pay him $20 million more million guaranteed, with the same type of, you know, but it also depends on like what kind of, again, maybe we're getting too, too deep into the weeds. So the last thing I'll say on this is like, you know, you also have to consider what are the offers. These, the money is one thing. What kind of options is he getting? What if the other team gives him like, you know, a four year, $80 million without the player option. And maybe he views it as like, do I really want to be locked in for 18 million a year or whatever? You know, if I think that in three years, I could be even better than that. Maybe I, right. maybe I value it. So there's who knows what his own calculus is going to be like. But I think because of the fact that, you know, he we gave him his chance. He he like chose to come here originally. I mean, these are all factors that help us. The only thing that can trump it is, you know, a max offer from some random team. Yeah. And it should be noted with guys like Tyler Johnson and Jeremy Lin, who got the poison pill contracts, their teams told them, you know what? We can't seem to come to agreement. You go out there and see if there's an offer out there. You know, our conversations with Austin Reeves would presumably be here is everything we can offer on the table right now. This is the max we can offer. And we're going to make it very player friendly because in year three, you can opt out. And by that point we have your full bird rights. We can give you the max. 
moving yeah. forward, right? And even even if Tommy, like his agent says, oh, team A or team B is opening up max cap space for us, we've seen how crazy free agency goes. Things change on a dime. Can you really trust that at the end of the day? What if someone becomes available? They're like, oh, sorry, Austin. Uh, we're actually going to go this direction instead. So hopefully that is also weighing on their minds. And they're like, well, actually, we have this offer on the table from the Lakers already. Maybe we should yeah. just take it because this is where you want to be instead of banking on, you know, seven days from now when the moratorium ends or whatever, uh, banking that that cap space will still be a bit, be available from the Detroit Pistons or something, right? So yeah. all in all, keep Austin Reeves. He is him. And hopefully Rob Palenka and Jeannie Buss know that. Let this not be another Alex Caruso situation because he wanted to come back for cheaper than, you know, what he got with the Bulls. But that was still too much for the Lakers and Jeannie Buss, and hopefully we don't redo that entire scenario. So with that said, that is our talk on Austin Reeves and Max Money and what he's going to make on his next contract. All we want to hear after all is said and done, regardless of the contract stipulations, is that Austin Reeves is a Laker next year. Right, Tommy? Yes, sir. All right. Catch you later. See ya. Peace. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.